You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on The Partner Podcast. This podcast is focused on giving law firm partners useful and relevant information that will help them improve in their lives, grow their practices, and get more business. In today's hyper-competitive legal landscape, what was innovative yesterday will become business as usual today. Yet many firms are lagging behind the rest of the pack in the area of legal project management. And today, we dig deep into this subject with our guest, Susan Lambreth. Susan is a founding principal at Law Vision and is nationally recognized as one of the top leadership, practice group, and project management consultants for law firms. For over 25 years, she has helped law firms of all sizes improve their profitability and enhance their lawyers' leadership and management skills. Susan is the chair and founder of the LPM Institute, a leading resource for educating law firms and law departments on implementing project management in their organizations. She's given hundreds of speeches on practice management, LPM, strategy, and trends affecting law firms or law departments. Prior to co-founding Law Vision, she was with Hildebrandt International for almost 20 years, where in addition to her consulting work, she chaired many of their conferences and led several of the most successful roundtables for law firm professionals. Prior to that, Susan spent almost seven years with Altman and Weil. She's also the author or co-author of six leading books on practice group management and legal project management. I hope today's show brings you ideas and useful action steps to improve in this area. I've got with me on the podcast today, Susan Lambreth, principal of Law Vision and founder and chair of LPM Institute. And today, we're going to talk about legal project management and innovation. And Susan, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Scott, for inviting me. So legal project management, I know that's a hot topic today. You read about that in legal publications. I've seen some firms have taken that to heart. Other firms probably haven't really embraced that concept. What's a working definition of legal project management? What does that mean and why should lawyers understand it? Well, first of all, legal project management is simply a process of how you, at the outset of a matter, define the parameters or detail of the matter, plan the course of the matter with the facts you have at that time, and then manage the matter, including dealing with changes that occur that were not anticipated when you first began, Mm -hmm. what is often called scope changes. And at the end, evaluate how the matter was handled from both the law firm or legal department perspective and the client perspective. And really, at its core... Legal project management is about better communication with the matter team, internally and externally, uh, between the lawyers and their clients, whether the matter is being handled by a law firm or being done entirely within a legal department. So that sounds like a lot of moving parts, a lot of variables. How would you kind of unpackage that? When you describe this and work with firms, what is it exactly that you take apart when you explain this process? Well, legal project management essentially starts with as I was starting to say, the at the beginning of a matter, understanding what the client's expectations are, their assumptions, and their objectives for the matter, and then putting together what's called a scope of work document, mm-hmm. which defines the client's expectations, but also what's in scope and what's out of scope for the work. And then that's typically discussed with the client to ensure that you're on the same page. What often happens today is 
clients are asking a law firm, a law firm partner typically for a budget, an estimate, how much is this matter going to cost? And then if there wasn't a scope document provided with that, the law firm has certain assumptions of what's in scope. The client has very different assumptions about what's in scope for that. And they're often not aligned and law firms then get into problems and have in today's market, lots and lots of write-offs as a result of not having this defined and clarified so that both sides understand what they're assuming is in and out of scope. Then once the work starts, or sometimes even before that, uh, it also means developing a project or work plan for the matter, including identifying the resources, the staffing for the matter, the steps that'll be involved, you know, the phases, tasks, activities, sometimes using task codes, the communications protocols, the client expectations around how you'll communicate with them, how frequently, who has to get what documents, and then doing a risk analysis and developing what's called a change plan. And all of this ideally is done before you do a budget so you know what things are going to cost. But as I was saying before, in some cases, in many cases, the client has asked for a budget even before you have enough information to do a project plan, and the law firm's kind of backing into some of this. But when they have done a good scope of work document, they typically can then manage expectations, have good conversations with clients when things go out of scope, and are then able to recoup more of the money that's spent or the time that's spent on the matter rather than simply having to write off the matter, write off you know significant amounts because the client assumed that that work wasn't in scope. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious, historically, when did these concepts start taking shape to be real concrete action steps that firms use in their process of onboarding a new client or, or a new matter? Well, it's still very much a work in process. There were some firms that got started in this just before the recession or global financial crisis, where they were starting to recognize that this was a more efficient way of meeting clients' expectations. They were trying to be more, really differentiate their firm or be more sophisticated in their approaches. So there were a couple of firms, leading firms in the U.S. that were out ahead of this and a few firms globally prior to 2008. But many firms, as you well know, the pressures on that clients started putting on law firms because of the pressures clients were under, that they were really looking for what today is called more for less. But clients started asking for greater efficiency, lower budgets, where the pressures were on them to reduce legal spend. And part of that goes to the issue of, you know, how do we do the work? So can we do it more efficiently, which is partly project management, but is also partly process improvement. But part of it also is managing the work in a way that we're not doing it you know, they counter to what the client was expecting or with the wrong resources assigned so that the work, as it has historically been done, can be as cost effective as possible. And so the client pressures really started driving it. Today, it's now common in most RFPs that law firms get, it's very common for there to be questions, not only asking about how they will be efficient, how they'll provide transparency, how they will help the client manage legal spend or how they're innovative. But in many cases, specific questions about legal project management. Do you have certified legal project managers? Do you assign them to our matters? How have you used it on work like you're proposing to us now? So a high percentage of our key responses today, our requests actually, ask these specific questions. That's really interesting. So let me ask you this then. Let's say out of the top 200 firms, what percentage of them do you think actually can satisfy these requirements that these sophisticated clients are looking for within this area? Well, we run what we call a legal project management roundtable. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like a mini professional association for people that are either the partners leading project management in their firm or their directors or chiefs of LPM or various, they have various other titles. 
And that group meets twice a year. And that group has about 40 AMLA 100 firms in it. And then there are many others that have these roles that, that aren't in our roundtable necessarily. But from surveys that city and other organizations have done, even going back a good number of years, roughly 80%, if not more, have someone in the firm dedicated to this. Now, the real challenge is that even firms that have been doing this a long time, like a, you know, a handful of firms that have been doing it for eight to 10 years or more, even in those firms, the percentage of matters that they would say is, quote, under matter management is you know, anywhere ranging between 30% and maybe max 60%. Because, mm-hmm. as you know, matters don't start, you know, they, they take place over a long period of time. And so there are matters starting every week, but there are other matters that have been going on for years. And so having matters where they're fully managing it in a, you know, in a, a project management approach is a small percentage for most firms, even that have been doing this a pretty long time. So do you think then the firms that don't embrace this, that they're going to be left behind? Do you think this is diminishing their potency as viable law firms to capture work from clients? Well, certainly some of the leading clients are starting to say that. I chair a conference each year. In uh, Next year, it'll be February 6th in uh, New York, by, put on by the Practicing Law Institute. It's on project management for lawyers. And my co-chair for that last year was Stephanie Hamon from Barclays, who was ed- head of external engagement for legal, so basically in charge of their outside council management program, their panel firm. And she basically said she felt like there was perhaps a two-year window where law firms could really use this for differentiation. And she expected it would be table stakes. Interesting. And that legal department particularly is very sophisticated in their use of LPM. I, I just wrote a profile for Fox Corporate Legal Operations Consortium to go on their website to all of the legal operations professionals that are part of that now thousand plus organization about, and it was about Barclays and their very progressive LPM program that has significantly reduced their costs for outside counsel, improved the relationship. They actually have a scorecard where they grade law firms on their performance on legal project management, among other factors. So for sophisticated clients like that, and particularly financial institutions, it's become a very important factor. There are still certainly plenty of clients that are not aware of it, And at the Clock Institute in Las Vegas in May, I'm actually leading three sessions on legal project management for legal operations professionals because they want to know more about it because they see it as a valuable tool to use to work to work with their outside counsel. So so I'm just kind of curious within the law firms. I'm sure this started from the top, but I don't see most attorneys to have been trained in becoming innovative. When I was a young naval officer after I finished my sea tour. My shorty detour was to teach Deming management methods, total quality management. Navy had an initiative in the early 90s called total quality leadership. So I really understood these concepts that you're talking about, continuous, never-ending improvement, things like that. I just don't see law firms traditionally as being innovative. What do you think that the other area of innovation that's being hot, you know, what are some innovative things besides LPM that law firms are doing uh, or, or other innovative attributes? that fit within what your focus area is that related to innovation? Well, there's a lot that law firms are starting to do. And to your point about, you know, coming from another industry or type of organization, like in the military, it isn't innovative compared to some other industries. And certainly law firms are not investing in this the way technology companies do. But law firms are starting to have significant programs in areas around data analytics, you know, predictive analytics, so helping clients analyze a portfolio of litigation matters, for example, 
and being able to identify trends and what are likely outcomes, you know, how the judge might decide in their cases and so on. Um, so there's you know, a lot of talk right now in the legal profession around artificial intelligence, you know, the different areas of machine learning, uh, using robots or RPA, robotic process automation. So there's a number of different things that law firms are doing like that, along with part of the innovation efforts in many law firms have to do with different aspects of efficiency, whether that's through knowledge management, legal project management, process improvement, AI, you know, a whole assortment of different kinds of tools. And they're also teaming with different technology vendors to develop applications, in some cases, developing applications for their clients, kind of applications that bridge legal and business issues that clients have and bringing their legal technologists from their law firm to team with the client and provide this additional service, much like the, you know, the big four and other consultancies offer sure. more in- integrated solutions to their clients than law firms have traditionally. So within a law firm, and I know that you're, you're steeped deeply in, in this space, what are the roles of people that work within a firm that involve LPM and some of the other things that you're talking about? If, if I was a law firm chairman or on the executive committee of a firm, and I want to make some improvements in this area. Who who would I be looking to hire to help me with this? Well, a lot of the major firms have hired someone they either call a director of LPM or a director of LPM and pricing. And in some cases, that person is under a chief value officer or chief innovation officer or chief strategy pricing. It's in you know falls into a number of different categories. But the people heading that, they a good percentage of them still are coming from legal backgrounds mm. because of the challenge in law firms of building credibility with partners if you don't understand their business well. There are others that have come from uh, IT or consulting backgrounds like the big four, other business technology kind of backgrounds. But their role, they really have a very broad mandate in a lot of firms and almost in some ways an impossible mandate. They, the, the job descriptions for these roles often range from being the change agent to help the, you know, the firm management bring about, you know, buy-in at all levels of the professionals in the firm. It also can include selecting tools, you know, figuring out which of the LPM technologies that are available, which makes sense for implementing in the firm or, or whether it's for building something. It also includes managing a staff of what are being called now legal project managers. As I mentioned before, a good number of clients are expecting that legal project managers are assigned to their matters mm-hmm. and are part of the relationship team. That interview I mentioned that I did with Barclays, they, one of the questions I asked them is, how can you tell if a law firm really has LPM or if they're faking it? And one of the things that they commented on is in their interactions with their law firm, there are meetings that they'll have with the relationship partner or the relationship team where the legal project manager is in the meeting and the partner regularly defers to that person on issues about how the matter is being managed, staff, where are they on budget, et cetera, because the partner doesn't stay on top of all of those issues, particularly in the largest firms. They need someone helping with that. And they describe that, which is the firm where they might even be in a pitch meeting and mention names of these people they have that do LPM, but then the client never sees any of those people on their matters or, you know, helping to manage their matters. And so it used to be that you could kind of fake it with clients and put some stuff in a proposal, win the work even, but now the clients really expect to see this demonstrated on their matters, that you are doing project plans, that you are giving them regular budget to actual updates that you're able to answer questions readily for the client, not just about the substance of the matter, which the partners could typically do, but about status of the work and how it's being managed and where, where are they in terms of meeting this, you know, the different deliverables, what's the status of deliverables that are in process and that kind of thing. 
so within your experience, have you seen firms that venture into this? Because I know you've got a rich amount of experiences and you've trained over 4,000 lawyers and other legal professionals in this space of legal project management. Have you seen firms that have tried to do this and it just didn't work out for whatever reason? Well, for the most part, what what has happened is some firms have brought on a, a high-level professional in this area, but they really they did that because I think, to your point before, maybe the firm chair or someone thought they needed someone in this role, but they didn't have significant partner buy-in yet. Right. The partners weren't necessarily feeling the pain points of either their individual clients demanding it or maybe they're you know, the kind of firm that's not having an issue with write-offs these days, although that's not many below maybe the top elite firms. And so they brought the person in and that person then was just fighting this uphill battle to get partners to cooperate and see any need for what they're doing and they're viewed as overhead. And the market is so hot for these roles right now that they're getting recruited away very readily. And so there's one particular firm I'm thinking of where they brought in one of the, you know, one of the top people in this business. They were there for about a year and a half, but they weren't making a lot of headway. They were, they weren't feeling like they could really, you know, add value the way they'd like to in the firm. And so they got an offer to go to a firm that's really committed to this and they left. So firms are, you know, there's a real dearth of people for these roles right now, both at the senior level, as well as at the legal project manager level. There are firms right now in our roundtable that have 15 or 20 legal project managers right now, and they're adding another 10 next year. And so trying to get talent and bring them in, if the firm doesn't really have partners that readily cooperate and think that the roles just aren't necessary, you know, recognizing you'll never get all partners buying into this and some partners won't see the need. But, you know, a typical firm we see in the, you know, say eight to 800 to 1,000 lawyer size, they're facing typically or they're, they're looking at something like 50 to 120 million in write-offs and write-downs each year that's avoidable write-offs as a result of not having the, man- the matters managed with project management approaches. And wow. we see that from the firms that we've worked with, where they document it as part of building their business case to get partners to buy in. And obviously, those are huge numbers that can justify a lot of resources being dedicated to this. Absolutely. But right. you've really got to be, you know, from the firm management level, often with the help of your director of project management or chief, you've got to be making that business case so the partners understand that. They see the names of the clients that are asking for this in the RFPs and recognize that this is really an expectation today that they do it and not something that's optional. So are there any types of matters where this is more necessary than others that you've seen? Well, some of the firms start it with their large portfolio clients. So a client that might have, you know, they might have $5 billion to $40 million worth of business with where there are a lot of different pieces that need to be managed. And, you know, in the old days, often a senior associate would do a lot of that management, second chairing to the partner. But mm-hmm. it's just too expensive to have those individuals doing that today. Plus, they often don't want that role versus really being a practicing lawyer. And so some firms bring them in first for those kinds of matters. Some of the Washington, uh, Wall Street elite have done that, particularly because of the pressures from the financial institutions to add these roles. Other firms have looked at, and in fact, I just had a presentation by the head of project management at Allen & Overy at our roundtable meeting, and they have, they have trained their lawyers across the firm, you know, thousands of lawyers, how to do basically self-service project management for the smaller matters. Mm-hmm. And then their LPM team help with matters that are multi-jurisdiction, multi-practice, more complex, higher profile. They have a set of criteria where the legal project manager then is almost like an internal consultant where they'll help the team, you know, develop at the outset the budget and the scope of work documents and they'll develop a project plan and then they'll check in with that team throughout 
you know, different than a project manager, say, in building a building would do where they are full time assigned to helping that crew build that building as they would do in that, you know, in the construction industry or as they do in technology where they're rolling out some new technology implementation. But they, in the legal setting, they also have a number of different clients that they're advising like this. So they're not playing the day-to-day hands-on, do everything for the team role because firms don't have enough of these people yet. So I really think of them more like internal consultants with their, where they're able to provide the guidance to that team and then the team also has some people on the team, depending on the kind of practice it is, can be mid-level or senior associates who are playing some of that day-to-day matter management role as well. So it sounds like this is a winning proposition for any firm that wants to get into that because you're going to squeeze out more margin from your revenue. You're going to capture the loyalty of your client because they see that you're being efficient with how you're spending their money in terms of where you allocate your resources. You're going to deliver, presumably, a better work product for your client. What's not to love, right? What have you seen? Is it is it just firms that are too traditional where they've rejected the idea? Have you seen firms that just close their minds to this altogether? Well, you know, you mentioned before the total quality movement. And I, you know, I've been in consulting for a long time. So I remember that as well. And sometimes I'll I'll with a firm I'm talking to kind of make the the comment or the joke, you know, there are many partners in a law firm where at a law firm retreat, they kind of have a, have the attitude of, if I duck my head, this too shall pass, because the total quality management program was very big and legal back in the early to mid-90s. There was a group within the ABA that I was part of that was coming up with the equivalent of an ABA award, like the Malcolm Baldridge Award for quality management, and then it disappeared. You know, work got so busy towards the late 90s, the tech boom, the dot-com boom, and everybody forgot about it. And it literally didn't surface again until, in a big way, until 2008 when the market fell out. And so there are a lot of very skeptical, if not cynical partners that have the attitude that this is just a fad and it's going to go away too. The other thing is we make the point every time we talk about this with groups that every successful lawyer is already doing some of this. They're, you know, we'll go into a firm and find that there are partners that have their Excel spreadsheet that they've been using to manage a big litigation, or they've got a checklist for doing this. The uh, every deal lawyer that's ever done a closing checklist, that's, that's project management. In fact, the ABA has a, a task force within the business law section that is, they've published now two books on the application of legal project management to M&A matters because litigators were the first ones to get on board in part because the pressures they had around e-billing and write-offs and so on. And that work was becoming more and more kind of procedure-based. You know, they could price what the cost of a deposition would be kind of thing. But M&A matters, those, those lawyers were often saying, this just doesn't apply to me. Our matters happen much more quickly. They're not spread out over years typically. And so they didn't think it applied to them. But a group of in-house counsel and partners in law firms and others like myself on that committee really believed it did apply to them. And They've now published, as I said, two books that really look at the application of this to that. But there's still, I mean, I tell many groups that the only reason people like me are teaching this kind of thing is I've spent my 30-year career in consulting basically helping law firms do change management. I started out helping about half the largest firms in the country implement their practice group structures. And I see the evolution really as law firms managing at the firm management level to managing down at the practice group or department level as firms became more complex and sophisticated, and then managing down at the matter level, which is essentially what project management is, as the economic pressures on law firms required it and as clients started to demand it. And so there are still partners that don't see that need, 
Mm. But it, I believe it'll become kind of internalized in firms, just like practice management became internalized over the last 25 years, where people don't even think about, oh, I have to be, you know, I have to go to my practice group meeting or my practice group leader has some say in my compensation. That's just the way they operate their firm. Right. And so, so it's become a part of how they operate. And I think eventually we'll get to that with at least the majority of lawyers in the profession. There are others that are very senior in their career, have the highest end work in the profession, and they probably won't have to do a lot of things differently between now and the end of you know their work lifetime. So let me ask you this then. Do you think that this will become a part of lateral partner recruiting? Because I haven't seen questions related to this on any LPQ, lateral partner questionnaire. That's the document that the firms give a new partner coming into, into a law firm to look at their collections, realization rate, things like that. Can you see that this would be a way firms can attract successful partners to move their practices to those firms that have this? Well, I have seen firms use the fact that they have a sophisticated LPM and pricing organization and that they've won business through that and that they and that clients have mm-hmm. rec- recognized them for that. I have seen firms use that as they're trying to woo lawyers to their firms right. because it can be an important part of differentiation. Mm-hmm. I don't see firms just like you have and I don't see firms that are looking for laterals that have this expertise because mainly it's coming from the business professionals helping them do it. And the main thing they want is the lawyers to the partners to be receptive to it right. so that they recognize that there's a lot of tools and resources that they can bring to them so that that partner's book of business that they bring over may be even more profitable or successful than it was at their prior firm rather than, as you know, many times it's way less than the numbers they projected. And I can, I can even see a partner that understands this. Let's say he or she is with the firm that does this. They want to move to a different firm. That's one of the variables, the attributes of that new firm that they need to see. And if a firm doesn't have that, well, they know that's probably not the right firm for them. So I can see that at some point being a, another unique point of differentiation. One of the questions I always ask a firm is this, and sometimes it's answered with a moment of silence when I say, what can you say about your firm that nobody else can say about their firm? And you can't say the word great words, great culture. And so I, I can see that if I was in a law firm and we had this, another key attribute of value would be selling this to prospective laterals, bringing this front and center for this is how we can help you improve your practice, serve your clients, and bond your clients closer to you is through our LPM systems. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, one of the partners that spoke for the PLI program that I mentioned that I chair every year, I forget, it's a couple of years ago, and I forget which partner it was, which of the two firms I'm thinking of, but one of them actually mentioned that the reason he joined the firm he did was how impressed he was with his firm's abilities in this area and how he thought it would really complement the kind of client base he had and would help him be even more attractive to new clients. So let me ask you this then, Susan, let's just say there's a partner listening and his or her firm hasn't done anything with this. What are some easy ways for firms to get started in LPM? Well, one of the things that we just launched is a what we call an online awareness course on LPM. So it's about 45 minutes, maybe a little less, and it is an overview of the core concepts of legal project management, what it is, why it matters, you know, basically some of the terminology so you could understand and talk, converse with a client about it. And so, and the reason we did that is we have an online certification course too that many firms have their legal project managers certified with. 
But a lot of firms said, we really need something that all of our lawyers just understand what this is and are aware of the benefits and can be conversant with clients about it. And so that course is very inexpensive. It's on our website. And so that is a simple resource if a person was interested in it, even if their firm wasn't on board yet. I've also written three books on LPM. And again, that would take a little more time than the online course. But they also educate in uh, the Implementing Legal Project Management book that I co-wrote. It actually walks them through all the steps that they wanted to apply legal project management to their matters. So that would be a very inexpensive resource for them to use as well to get started. Again, whether it was them individually as a partner or they wanted to have one of their associates that kind of second chairs or helps them manage their clients with working on their matters with them, whether or not they wanted to have them do it. That's great. And we can put those links to those resources on the show notes here. Okay. And what, what are some other things that you do if, if a firm chairman is listening to this and says, get me Susan Lambert, what are some things that you usually do for firms uh, besides the books and resources that you've written? What are some other things that you do in terms of getting involved with them through your consulting practice? Sure. Well, a couple of main things. One is if they want to just get a program off the ground, they want to just whether we, you know, they want to start an LPM initiative or they want to get greater buy-in. We've helped firms figure out who's the right group inside the firm to really drive this, whether it's a mix of some partners, often business professionals. It's one of the few things a firm does that really crosses a lot of the functional business side departments in a firm across IT, professional development, business development, pricing, practice group management. And so in many firms, it's become a very unifying initiative to do but we've helped them figure out how to get that group off the ground and what's the right fit in their culture, in their compensation system, in with the people they have, what's the right way to get started, whether it's, again, hiring someone that they might bring in or working with their internal you know, C-suite and so on to figure out the right people to lead this kind of initiative. We don't do any recruiting, so we're not trying to get them to hire someone, but mm-hmm. we try to help them figure out what's the right kind of approach to take. The other thing we do is a lot of training. And so, as you mentioned, I've trained a lot of lawyers in this. And in some firms, they'll start with a pilot group. It could be a particular practice group that's getting more pressure from clients or financial pressure that knows they need to be managing their matters differently. Or it could be just a, you know, the firm puts it open to a group of people to uh, see who wants to attend and they'll get a group of lawyers and they'll often train them either in our one day uh, course or our two day certification course and have them really be the LPM champions internally. And that's sometimes a mix again of the, the partners, associates, and some of the business professionals who will lead an initiative like this. And those have typically gotten off the ground, creating kind of pockets within the firm that really see how it's helping them. They're able to reduce write off. They're able to enhance client relationships. And they start to see the momentum grow to, you know, again, have it start to be more a part of how they operate. That's great. Well, Susan, your content is solid. It's obvious that you're a true professional, an expert within this field. And I'm sure that people listening have gotten a lot of value. What's the best way they can reach you if they want to get more information from you or ask you to do some consulting for them? Sure. Well, my email is just slambris at lawvision.com. And we've got resources available also. The LPM Institute is a group that I set up that is offering different resources for the legal profession, both in-house and law firms, on legal project management. And so there's articles listed there. There's job postings where firms are looking for these individuals. We've got an advisory board of leading people from legal departments, law firms, et cetera who get together regularly, and we're starting next year offering uh, bi-monthly webinars 
and a blog that is covering some of these different topics on legal project management. And that is just lpminstitute.net. So there's free resources there, articles and white papers and so on available there as well. And we'll put that link on the show notes as well, Susan. This is great. I really appreciate you being on the show today. This is great content. I'm sure I'll be having you back here before the end of next year to talk about some other elements of this. And and I understand that you've also done a lot of leadership training within firms. Is that right? Yes. I've trained practice group leaders in literally over 100 firms. That's great. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of need for that. So I'm sure we'll be talking again real soon, Susan. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.